Thank you for listening to this chapel message, originally presented at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. With more than 70 on-campus and online programs, Clark Summit University prepares Christ-centered, career-ready graduates to make a difference around the world. We hope this is an encouragement to you today. Well, good morning, everybody. It is a joy to be back. As Jim mentioned, I my, started my post-military career here, my family and I, back in 2010. And when we got here in that July of 2010, they were just laying the beams of this building. And um, so I have a very uh, intimate knowledge of this building, how it went together. Uh, my sons and I were up on cherry pickers up on the, the back shelf there, painting the beams, much to my wife's terror at one point. And um, just, just so you know, you're kind of sitting on history in the sense that before we formally dedicated the, this building, all the students and faculty and staff at the time signed their names on the floor. So underneath the floor are hundreds of names of people when um, mine's right about there, I think, as I recall. Um, but how exciting it is to be able to see the building used as it is now and to be back on campus. And I will tell you, I've literally lived all over the country and overseas, and this is one of the most beautiful campuses you will ever come across. And, uh, and it's a joy to be back here and to see your faces. That was the one thing I, I think my wife and I miss most about not being around students is your energy, your excitement, your new ideas, everything that you bring when you come. And, uh, and it helps old guys like me remind me that I was your age once a long time ago. Uh, but it is, it is a delight to be with you. And I want to share with you, um, as Jim mentioned, I'm the, the director and the endorser for the chaplaincy ministry for the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. And this school has a long association with the JRBC. And uh, chaplaincy ministry is a very unique ministry. Uh, I'm not going to be sharing about it per se directly, but rather something that applies to all of us. And that is some of the characteristics that you need to carry as you go into ministry and into real life. And our chaplains epitomize um, those characteristics. And we'll, we'll talk about those in just a second. So first, I want to start, start this morning with a question. What is America's favorite pastime? Baseball, what else? Football? No, actually, it's worry. Fear and worry, I think, is America's favorite pastime. Um, it's a part of our psyche. It's a part of, I think, who we are. It's, it's certainly an attribute that God has given us. But we have seen probably over the last two years a great exploitation of that trait, fear traits, that fear and worry. Um, and it's not enough that, there's a, there's, there, that it's out there just in its natural state. Many years ago, and I think it's having a renaissance, there was a show called The Fear Factor. Um, and that's a show where they would get on, go do all these challenges and eat everything from bugs to bungee off an airplane to all these things to see if they could overcome fear. And it, it was very entertaining because I think we all, in, in, in some sick way, enjoy watching other people squirm. But the fact of the matter is, worry has consumed our country and the world, I think, in many ways, rightly so, but in also many ways, wrongly so, to the point that I'm not talking just the fear of, oh, I have a fear of whatever, but that incapacitating type of fear that completely immobilizes you. And that's the kind of fear that's not healthy. There is such thing as a healthy sense of fear. I mean, even just getting up and speaking in front of you, there's a healthy sense of fear 
that goes with that. It gives that edge. But when you get to a point where you can no longer function is where it becomes detrimental. I remember one of the first dates that uh, that my wife and I went on when we started dating and uh, we took her to Cedar Point, which is a big amusement park known for its roller coasters and everything out in Ohio. And uh, I thought I liked roller coasters, and I emphasized thought. But I realized quickly after going down the Gemini, I'm not sure if it's even still there at the time, it was one of the largest wooden roller coasters in the country. Um, I realized quickly that I am not a roller coaster junkie um, and that I spent the next two hours trying not to heave my shoes out of my throat because of the, the subsequent consequence of, of riding that roller coaster. So there's that, that entertainment fun. But again, I go back to this fear of when all you can do is just freeze and not do anything. i share some statistics with you on, on fear. 40% of what we worry about will never happen. 30% of what we worry about or fear are things that happened in the past and can't be changed. 10% of what we worry about are considered by most to be insignificant issues. 12% of what we worry about are issues about our health that will not happen. So when you work the math and statistics, and I'm not a mathematician, that means 90% of what we fear or worry about will never take place, which really means there's only about 8% of anything that we worry about that we should be considered legitimate. And again, we have seen the past two years an exploitation of those fears. Let me share some other things with you. You've heard of some of these, but it's always fun to hear the, the technical word. Fear of public speaking, glossophobia, 74% of people suffer for that. Fear of death, necrophobia, 68%. Fear of spiders, arachnophobia, 30% of people suffer that. Fear of darkness, occultophobia or scotophobia, mitocotophobia, 11%. Fear of heights, acrophobia, 10%. Fear of people in social situations, sociophobia, 7.9%. Fear of flying, aerophobia, 6.5%. Fear of confined spaces, claustrophobia, otherwise known as 2.5%. Fear of open spaces, agoraphobia, 2.2%. In fear of thunder and lightning, brontophobia, that to me should be something you're afraid of brontosauruses or something, but brontosaurus, 2%. So we have all these technical names. Fear is a very real reaction. The world has a lot to say about for worry and fear, but thankfully, so does Scripture. For the early Christian, and even more so perhaps for the contemporary Christian, fear is a factor but fear is not something that God ever intended us to be enslaved to. 2 Timothy 1.7, a familiar verse for many of us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness, but content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. As mentioned, fear is not a new emotion that the Lord has left us unprepared to counter. Matthew 6, 25, there I, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, 
what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? God just doesn't say, oh, deal with your fears. He says, bring them to me. 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may exalt he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care about him, for he cares about you. And these are just a few verses that address the issue directly. But the fact of the matter is how you react to fear and worry shapes your character. I was attending a Bible study a long time ago as a young lieutenant and the Air Force has a set of values, they're called the core values, and they serve as the foundation that every airman is expected to um, behave, perform, conduct themselves based on these core values. And someone had taken these core values and made a biblical application. So as I learned these, I then learned them from a biblical perspective. But first off, what is a core value? A definition of core value is Values that are guiding principles that dictate behavior and action. They help people, can help people to know what is right from wrong, and they can help establish the atmosphere in an organization. Core values set the climate of an organization, no matter what the type, whether it's business, the military, education, whatever. Those core values set the tone. In the same way, core values play the same critical role in our Christian life and the ministry in which God has placed us. So what is our response? Well, there are two I'd like to address with you today. One of those core values is courage. Sometimes an overused word. But the fact of the matter is courage, the word courage, comes from the word kur, which is heart. Courage is a heart reaction. And one of my favorite verses, chapters and verses in the scripture that address that is in Joshua 1, where Moses has died and Joshua is now finds himself in a position of leadership. And starting in verse 6, the Lord says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it, from the right hand to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God can't be more direct than that. And just as he told that to Joshua, he is telling that to us today, especially today. 
be strong and courageous. The world says, trust in yourself. God says, trust in me. The world says, boldly strive for your dream. But God says, be strong and courageous and step out to possess the land because I will be with you. The world says, think good thoughts, positive thoughts. God says, meditate on my word. Then the world says, from all those things, you will have success. But God says, you will have success according to me. Being bold, being strong, being courageous. I will never leave you. God is with us. Emmanuel. As noted in the Matthew Henry commentary, those that go where God sends them shall have him, them with him wherever they go. That the presence of God shall never be withdrawn from them. That really struck home to me my first deployment back in 2004 when I deployed to Baghdad. And I know that's history for many of you. But I was stationed in Texas at the time and went from Texas on a commercial airliner to Baltimore where I got on a chartered airplane and flew into Ramstein, Germany, and then from Ramstein, Germany, got on a military plane into Kuwait City, and from there took a C-130 into Baghdad. The progression of airplanes got more cramped, less comfortable, that by the time you're on a C-130, you're sitting in a net seat, sitting sideways with no windows, trying not to throw up. But the fact of the matter is, I remember landing, it was September 25th, 2004, landed at Baghdad International Airport. It was 125 degrees on the tarmac, without wind chill. And then you throw on that 40 pounds of body armor, weapons, your A2 bag, which is everything you're going to live with for the next few months. You drag that over to what we call the Steel Dragon, and the Steel Dragon was the convoy that took us from Baghdad International Airport down to the compound, which was Saddam's old palace, downtown Baghdad. And at the time, look it up in Google, the most dangerous road in the world was Route Irish because of the number of bombs and explosives that were placed there. But I was so tired, I just, it didn't fathom come to me the, 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 the danger that was going on. But I remember we pull into the, the palace compound, compound, I have my bags, I'm standing looking up at one of Saddam's palaces going, how in God's green earth did I get here? What am I doing here? But with everybody else, you do the bag shuffle, you go over, you get your temporary uh, lodging, you're staying in a tent with about 500 of your closest friends while they get you out, parsed out to your particular, what they call CHU, containerized housing unit, which is basically a semi-truck trailer. They cut out a window, put an air conditioner in it, and throw on a door, and that's where you live. But as I was dragging my bags to my hooch, wondering how I was here, and I get to where my my roommate, whom I had not met at the time, he's sitting out in front, of, in front of the hooch. He's got a big old cigar in his mouth. He's an Army Lieutenant Colonel. I was an Air Force Major at the time. But he was reading his Bible. And God reminded me right then and there and said, I told you. 
I will be with you. A verse I carry with me all the time comes out of 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those, ho- those whose hearts are completely his. It was a reminder that there is no corner that any of us can go in this world. No ocean too deep, no cavern too deep where God is not there. And if that is not a cause for courage, I don't know what is. So when the media is blaring at you, and trust me, they are blaring. I worked with the media for the better part of 20 years. All they're interested in is in selling Nielsen ratings. So when they're blaring at you saying, fear, be scared, be scared, be afraid, our reaction should not be, I'm going to go lock myself in the closet and hide. Our reaction is, I need to get out there and be a part of what's going on and helping people through this. I'm not saying being reckless. Don't misconstrue that. But what I am saying is don't let fear grip you to the point that you become completely ineffective. And unfortunately, that's often what happens. Joshua 1.7, again, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. It takes courage to obey. One of the first things they teach you in the military is you learn to obey your superiors. Obeying is not a sign of weakness. Obeying is a characteristic of strength and courage because one day you will be in a position where you will expect people to obey. I had the privilege later on in my career of being a squadron commander and being responsible for 150 people and multiple offices scattered throughout the East Coast. And I expected my, my people to obey, not follow blindly. It was okay to ask a question. But if I ultimately said, do this, I expected it to be done. Just as when I was a younger officer, when my superior said, do this, they expected it to get done, and I did. It's no different when God says, this is what I want you to do. He expects us to obey. And God, in his infinite glory, will get his way in the end. It takes courage to obey. You think about it. Society could not function if we didn't obey. You couldn't drive down to the sheets if people didn't obey traffic signs and traffic laws and things to that nature. So obey is an important and critical aspect. Be strong and courageous. Because fear is an instinctive response that God has put in all of us. Fight or flight, they tell you never corner an angry animal or a drunk person because they'll either come out fighting or they're going to whimper and go in the corner. So when God says obey, 
He expects us to follow, to listen. C.S. Lewis wrote, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. That healthy sense of fear in, builds that courage within you. That when you find something that, that frightens you, find out about it. Most of the time you'll find that fear is unfounded and then you overcome it and then you can react to it. And when you get that way, that's when God can use you best. Second attribute to help you counter fear and worry is integrity. We have seen way too many failings of integrity and not just in the secular world but in the church world as well. Proverbs 27, verse 11 say, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his contact, conduct is pure and right. Now more than ever, your generation especially, we have never lived in a world under so much scrutiny. Scrutiny that within five minutes can be worldwide. Back in my day, that cliche, but it applies, we had three channels in PBS. And that was it. You got news once a day, it's five o'clock. Or six o'clock if you were on East Coast time. Newspapers were yesterday's news. But nowadays... People put their entire lives on social media. And I'm not criticizing social media. I have a Facebook page. I like to look at other people's kids and cats, and I like to share pictures of my grandkids and cats. Okay, so what? But it never amazes me, particularly someone who worked in the, in the field of public relations and strategic communication for so long, when somebody does something stupid and they post it on in the Internet, they wonder why they get called out on it. My son is a state trooper in Michigan. And you have people all the time posting videos of themselves going 180 miles an hour on a motorbike down I-75. And then they wonder why they go to jail time and their, their license revoked when they put it on Facebook. And all they have to do is look at the name. That's a no-brainer. The world is watching, and particularly us as Christians now. I mean, all of us have heard about, you know, we're living in a fishbowl and all that, and it's true. But now that fishbowl has high-definition TV looking right at you. And they're going to see everything. Unfortunately, organized religion ranks nearly as low as Congress in the media and the media when it comes to public confidence and trust. But though thankfully as a born-again believer, I, we, are not beholden to organized religion, we are beholden to a risen Savior. And we can't let the distractions of what's being played in the news cycle take away from who we are. The gospel still has a place still has opportunities, but as believers, we must conduct ourselves with utmost, unyielding, uncompromising integrity. Because the world is watching. We saw these past couple years, 
the response of religion, quote unquote, to the pandemic. Some of it was good, some of it was bad. But nonetheless, we are being looked at. Chuck Colson, another historical figure, if you want to look up Watergate, look up the name Chuck Colson back about 1974, you can hear about him. But he said, we must be the same person in private and in public. Only the Christian worldview gives us the basis for this kind of integrity. It's amazing what can get done when you don't care who gets the credit. That is a characteristic of integrity. But nowadays, people want to shine the light on themselves and say, look at the great things that I did. And we already know the scripture addresses that. About the old lady who put the single penny in versus the person that put all this money in and the response and all that. God's not impressed. We put so much on social media looking for that daily affirmation. How many likes did I get? How many shares did I get? And again, I'm not disparaging social media. It has its place. But when it becomes the indicator of who you are and your character, then it becomes a problem. Because we all know 90% of what we see on social media is fake anyway. But yet we look for affirmation from that source. It leaves us asking, who can we trust? What can we trust? Daniel was a great character of integrity. When you look at his character in Scripture, that here he was, taken from all that was familiar, thrown into a situation where he was expected to be part of the king's consort, so to, so to speak. That the brightest and the best were picked out. As it says in Daniel chapter 1, verses, starting verse 3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, four youths without blemish, a good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom. So here Daniel was taken out, and we know the story, multiple parts of the story, but the story where then he was challenged to eat the king's food, and Daniel said no. He stood firm. He maintained his integrity and didn't compromise it for the sake of promotion or adoration. Integrity doesn't pay attention to those things. It's often been said that character is how do you act when nobody is watching? That is a measure of integrity. When no one is looking at you. We've all had this. You go to the parking lot, you go to the store, you go in the parking lot, you come out 20 minutes later and somebody's put a big ding in your car. Nine times out of ten, nobody puts anything. But are you the type of person that would say, I'm sorry, I hit your car, here's my phone number, please call me. That's a mark of integrity. Nobody's watching you. And that's just a small example now you take that and you multiply that in what you're doing in your work, in your, your, your schooling here, and when you go out in the working world. How are you going to conduct yourself? 
Are you going to act with integrity? Even when nobody's watching, are you going to stay late because the boss needs something, even though he's not, he or she is not there? That's integrity. What are you going to do when someone challenges you? When I was driving here from Michigan yesterday, the one song that came on, Columbine, and again, this is history for you guys, back in 1999, when the uh, student shootists went in and they were killing students in this high school in Colorado. And the shooter asked the young girl, do you want to live? Deny Christ. And she didn't, and he shot her. And she was dead. If you can't be handled and trusted with the small issues of integrity, there's no way you're going to be able to handle, and I include me in that you, there is no way that you are going to be able to withstand when someone really challenges your integrity. And the scripture talks about that. Having integrity means being willing to speak out. Daniel chapter 3, again. I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the, in, in the youth who are in, of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for four days. And then he goes on to say, I'll put my money where my mouth is. He was willing to speak out. There were numerous experiences that I had in the military and even in my post-military career where I was challenged to speak out. Am I going to just turn my eye to it or am I going to say something? And peer pressure is a huge thing. When there's five of you and four of you say, ah, we're not going to say anything, what are you going to do as the fifth wheel? Are you going to demonstrate courage and integrity and do the right thing? That's a question all of us face nearly every day in some form or fashion. Edmund Burke, the Irish statesman from the 1700s, said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Daniel was willing to put his money where his mouth is. He challenged the king's steward. He said, try me, try me. And we'll let the results speak for themselves. He is a great example of a man who fought to maintain his integrity, and through it all, God was honored and Daniel was blessed. Titus 2, verses 7 and 8, show yourself in all aspects to be a model of good work, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent, an opponent may be put to the shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Everybody is so concerned about what will they think. And sometimes you have to ask the question, who cares? I have to do what's right. Proverbs 28, 18, whoever walks with integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly 
fall. I'm an old military guy. I tend to think in terms of battle lines, centers of gravity, logistics, contact with the enemy. Make no mistake that there are battle lines right now. And although we know who wins the war, the battle still rages. And success to any army is reinforcements. You are the reinforcements. Are you going to act with courage and integrity? Because the battle line is desperately and eagerly waiting for you to show up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for these students that they've responded to your call to serve. Some in full-time ministry, but others and others in vocational work. But yet they're here because they want that grounding, that training in truth. Lord, may you bless each one as they finish up the semester and get ready for graduation and summer plans and coming back next year, all those things that go along, Lord, may they respond with confidence, courage, and integrity. May you continue to bless the school as it reaches not just this community but around the world, proclaiming Christ and sharing the gospel and your truths. We give you all glory for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Clark Summit University's Chapel Series. Visit www.clarksummitu.edu to learn more about CSU. Become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate through on-campus and online degree programs. Look for us on social media, at Clark Summit U, and share your feedback.